0: Hello, welcome to the first of our Tape Notes reissue episodes where we'll be looking back through the archive and bringing you some of our favourite early episodes you might have missed or episodes that have so many nuggets of gold that they deserve a re-listen. The plan at the moment is to bring you one of these per month throughout the year. And of course, we will be releasing regular episodes as usual. So to kick off our very first reissue, we turn to episode 12 with Dave Bailey, lead singer, songwriter and producer of Glass Animals, talking us through the band's 2014 debut album, Zaba. This episode was recorded back in the summer of 2018 and we ventured up to London Fields on a very hot day to see Dave's newly fitted studio, so new that I think we might have been one of the first to see it in action. Dave's production skills, ideas and creative approaches to music making are second to none, as well as sharing his method of being able to create pretty much any sound he can think of, we get introduced to his crack choir and if you don't know what that is, you are in for a treat. Now, without further ado, let's get started. Hello, my name is John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes is Dave Bailey from the band Glass Animals. Glass Animals are a four-piece band from England featuring Dave Bailey as frontman and guitarist, Drew McFarlane on guitars and keys, Edmund Irwin-Singer on bass and keyboards, and drummer Joe Seawood. Dave and Joe were childhood friends, but didn't start making music together until they finished school. Throughout this period, Dave wrote and recorded songs in his spare time, eventually asking the other members to join him, and after various incarnations, Glass Animals was born. In 2012, while studying at university, they released their debut EP, Leaflings. Dave had planned to go on to medical school after graduation, but the band soon captured the attention of acclaimed producer Paul Epworth, which led him to signing them to his label, Wolf Tone Records. Their first release together was the Glass Animals EP, featuring the single Black Mambo, and in 2014 came their debut album, Zaba. The band spent much of the next two years touring the world, gathering stories from the people they encountered along the way, the tales of which became the lyrical inspiration for their second album, How to Be a Human Being, released on Wolf Tone in August 2016. Today, however, I'm here at Dave's home studio in London Fields to talk about how Glass Animals recorded and produced their first album, Zaba, and what better way to start that conversation than by hearing something from the record. This is Black Mambo.
1: What'll it be now, Mr. Moore? Whisper slow back Dance with me shake your bones. down,
0: Black Mambo, Glass Animals. Dave, thank you so much for welcoming us to your home studio, your new home studio.
2: Yeah, it still smells like paint in here.
0: It's lovely, though. It's so quiet-sounding. So have you recorded anything yet here?
2: I literally plugged in all the electronics yesterday. It's got a... um, yeah, seems like it's all working. Fingers crossed. But nothing's been recorded. (laughs) I made one beat last night, and that's it. Right. Fantastic. So this can
0: be a dry run, in a way, just seeing if things actually... This is
2: a test. So if it it all goes tits up, I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So we're going to go back in time, all the way back to Zaba, the debut album. Yeah. And some of the songs which are probably, you know, predating the release of that album, obviously, you know, maybe a, a couple of years.
2: Yeah, go, that feels like a long time ago. Mm. A lot has happened, but um, I'm happy to try and try and remember, scrape my brain from yeah. the, what's left of it. Yeah. Excellent. So we're going to discuss three songs, Gooey, Hazy
0: and Toes from cool. the album. Black Mambo also features, which we've just heard, that's on the record. Um, so, I mean, my impression of how you work, Dave, with Glass Animals, is that you're alone in a room somewhere and creating sounds, looping things, experimenting, and then you share that with the band or the other members who became the band um, and try and get them to get involved and maybe actually be able to play these things as a, as a group.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're amazing musicians. They can play everything really well, and I can't. Um, so I do a kind of rubbish uh, demo recording so, you know, some sometimes it like the Hazy, for instance, we'll go on to later. was just that was just me on my computer and it made it onto the record. Um, and then sometimes it needs that musicianship that I can't really handle. Um, so I I'll get Ed to play the bass line a bit better and put some fills in and Drew will come in and do some key stuff and Joe and go crazy on the drums. Um, that kind of happens at, at quite a late stage. Mm. So I mean, th- this setup you've got now um,
0: is a bigger grown-up version of what you might have had originally. Yeah, am, this I, is, am I, mean, I right in thinking that this is
2: way more grown-up? What <laughs> we started just making it in my bedroom. Like mm. the first album was basically made sitting on my bed. Um, it was a little room in my mum's house, um, and did it all there, and then went to do some Paul. Let us have his studio to do some the more complicated bits. Um, yeah, we when we went into that studio it was like data collection. Like we were so sp- spoiled compared to being in my bedroom. We just record everything that we could, um, and take it away and mess with all those parts because that was like gold. Yeah, and um of the
0: three tracks we're going to listen to, um, how many were recorded at Paul's studio or, or were worked up at Paul's studio as well?
2: Um, of the th- I think Toes was m- kind of half done in Paul's studio because i brought that in in a really early stage um gooey was maybe like a quarter done in Paul's studio and um hazy was totally done just in the bedroom that was like really f- late addition to the album yeah um it was really the rest the album was finished and then um i s- woke up in the middle of the night and just yeah it came out super quickly and played it to the guys And they were like cool let's put it on the album Wow, amazing. So
0: which, which do you think we should look at first or listen to first? Because what we thought we'd do is uh, play a section of the yeah. finished track and cool. then and then break it all down. So in terms of that
2: I do GUI first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Well let's here's some GUI, uh, as it yeah. ended up on the album and and then we're gonna kinda break it down and see how it all began.
1: All right, go close. Let me show you.
0: This is "Gooey" by Glass Animals, as it ended up on the debut album Zaba, and we're going to kind of break it down now with a little help from Dave himself. So, Dave, when you came up with "Gooey" um, in your bedroom, and um, where where was the bedroom located?
2: This was so. I, I think I was kind of lying to my mum about still being at university at this point. <laughs> uh, uh, so I I think I was still living in London. This is Old Kent Road. Um, a while ago, yeah. Eight years ago or something. No, less than that, six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in theory,
0: you were a student, um, but in reality, you were in your bedroom mm-hmm. making beats. Just making beats. Is it? it yeah. Is How does it work? Does it begin with a, a rhythm? Rhythm seems such a key part of, of the group.
2: It depends. Each each song's a bit different. I think with the latest album, it was done backwards the first. The first song was very much music first then lyrics and words and latest album was lyrics and and the vocal melody first and then went back and did the music to fit around that um but this one i actually dug up the original voice memo so quite often what happened making this record is i'd sit up in the middle of the night and have like a little idea a little nugget in my head and um in this case it was the bass line i can play that yeah that would be great
1: Boom!
2: that's it amazing that's this the, the starting point
0: um and then what did you do next then so that was recorded in the middle of the night that was into your phone yeah
2: exactly and then what i guess the next step would have been um turning that bass line into a a synth sound into a bass sound, mm. and I was obsessed with this. Do you remember that artist Benga? Mm, yeah, I was obsessed with Benga being from s- South London. And he was from Croydon, is that like he had this amazing album called Diary of an Afro Warrior? That mm. was, I was obsessed with his like bass sound and his drum programming. Um, and I watched this interview with him on YouTube, and he used this synth called Albino by Rob Pappen, and it's still to this day, it's pretty much. Well, I've used it on almost everything we've ever done wow um so I got up my albino synth and i started so is this a computer program then this is just yeah, it's a little um v synth and it's really versatile um I always start with a sine wave, create a sine wave um for si- i I have never really had anything in key I don't know why i I always change the like so I've got it pitched up about eight cents. So it's slightly out of key for some reason i you'll notice every song is slightly out
0: right because this has become a signature sound it's
2: <laughs> yeah I don't know what it just makes everything sound a bit wonky, and you can turn things you can make things kind of sharp, a little bit sharp if you want them to stand out a lot of the time mm. um, I think a lot of singers do that really well if they want their vocal to particularly cut, they can sing a little bit sharp and it yeah, it just really adds a bit of extra emotion, yeah, um but I guess I just translated that um voice memo i'd made with my mouth into an actual like so you fed that into albino fed yeah, well i or... i just i played it in yeah, i you know right. i had the the notes in my head and would have just played it into the computer with a keyboard right and so this that we're hearing the background this is the bass line yeah which came from from that original vocal thing um, I think I've pitched it up a little bit here mm. at this point, just because it was probably a bit too low in the in register. I've, yeah, I wanted it to sit in a certain place. So it, I, I think if anything is going below forty hertz, you start to lose a bit of its potency, especially when it starts coming out of a PA system. Yeah, you
0: know. right. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so you've got this baseline then, as as Albino has starting. helped you realize.
2: Yeah, it looks like I then added a bit of an attack to it, so I added that to the front just so you can hear the kind of stutter of the note a bit more, added that, and then it looks like what I did next was harmonised it. Um, So we have that playing and then it comes in with this little harmony here. So in
0: this state you can really relate this to Benga. Um, and, and, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you if he inspired you to get a hold of this program um, it's, it's quite interesting because then you, you'd take it somewhere else entirely though because I think say somebody like Benga and this is meant to be no disrespect to him but he would continue with these tools and keep them in this kind of sonic world yeah. in a way um, but that's not what you do as glass animals is it?
2: No, I mean he would have added some kind of huge wobbly bass drop at mm. some point um, whereas I I was also really obsessed with the early Caribou stuff and his thing was always just constantly keeping things building. It was like the build of the song mm. for seven minutes. That was his thing and I loved it. So that's uh, something else I was kind of trying to gather, get with this song. If, like the, Everything's automated, constantly building throughout the whole length of the song. If you look at the rest of the stems, you can see all the automation lines just going up. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, interesting. So So after adding um, those little bits, I mean, how long is the journey of trying to create the song from, from here?
2: Pretty quick. I, when I have an idea that I like, I, I throw away a lot of things really early. Mm. So sometimes I'll have like one little bass line like that, and I think, oh, it's not good enough to work on, throw it away. Thousands of things go like that, and then once in a while, I have one that I think, oh, like there's something in that. Um, so I probably would have spent a couple of hours on it, um, added some drums, added some other textures and it all comes together pretty quickly but i remember parking this one after having the main kind of beat i put some drums and ambience behind that bass line and then i remember part, thinking like oh that's a beat i can send it to some hip-hop artist something and done right um and i returned to it a bit later like a couple of weeks later and started uh i put some chords over the top and the vocal line popped into my head
0: Right, that's interesting. So, what were the chords that you put on?
2: Well, the chords actually, like, I added these drums first. I I really like layering kick and snares. There's like three kick drums going together and three snares going together. So, I added that next, by the looks of it. It's a little, I think one of them is like a little Glock, Glockish, I don't know how to pronounce it Glockenspiel. Right. Thing that I recorded and some little. So slacks. an actual physical Glockenspiel. Yeah, well, I probably found. You know, I do this data collection stuff. I walk around for little voice recorder, stereo voice recorder, and record all sorts of things that sound cool. Um, so I imagine that's something I found in Paul's studio when I was there, like right. hit it, or met, it could have been like a pot Yeah, or something. So at this point, you'd already hooked up with Paul. Uh, yes, this was early days. I'd been in the studio a couple of times at this mm. point.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to go back to Paul in a minute. But yeah. I, I, let's let's hear the evolution to the point where you you put these chords on, and then then once you put the chords on, a melody sprung. Um, to your yeah. Mind. So
2: there's probably, by the looks of it, this ambience thing came in. I'm trying to see what else. Oh yeah. Here, there's this little um. It's a little drip. You can hear very quiet. I actually so this drip um, is it's definitely something I recorded at Paul's place. I'd been I remember being in Paul's place for like a day and recording all sorts of things. And this is a if I get the raw audio, so that's it. I'm just like playing different notes of this. So what would I've you made. have? Rec- it's is- so what I actually recorded sounds like. That's it, it's a guitar thing. Which actually, if I zoom way forwards in the recording, turns out it's a guitar line. From Flip, the first song on the record. Wow. Um, And it's just, I guess it's something, yeah, you might recognise that little riff. But if you go right to the beginning of it, it's got that little, like, kind of mistake, almost.
0: Yeah, which, yeah. I mean, you described it as a drip, <laughs> and it does sound like a drip. That,
2: so that's, yeah, that's the, like, the drip But it is pitched. actually an
0: instrument. That's yeah, the interesting I pitched thing. Yeah, and it
2: way up. It's a guitar, somehow. Um, and weirdly, that, that one guitar recording ends up featuring in almost every, like, it features in Hazy and Tote, like I can show you a bit later. <laughs> um, told you about this weird data yeah. collection thing I had. But that
0: is you playing the guitar
2: yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just filling
0: around on on a guitar that was in Paul's studio
2: yeah and I kind of put it out over a keyboard put some reverb and chorus on it and there you go Mm. yeah that's the drip what else have I got in this original demo it's so weird looking at all this Uh, it looks like I then did the vocal very early beginnings of the vocal so we've got not actually totally sure what what it's going to sound like but
0: So, what's that thing that came in? The little little chiming thing.
2: I. uh, Let's find it. So, that's the early first vocal. (laughs) Weird.
0: But that's interesting because, I mean, it seems quite a complete vocal
2: in many ways. Yeah, I quite often just sit down, see what comes out. And normally, within the first couple of tries, you've got something that's almost finished. Mm. And the, the kind of nuggets of lyrics already. I could hear a few of the same lyrics that ended up in the same yeah <laughs> in the final yeah. version yeah it's really weird listening back to that yeah, which is version one basically version one wow, yeah. so this really is version I mean one. it's fascinating
0: that you know <laughs> within a a few a few hours well or even less you 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 got that far
2: I imagine this is really like the second probably the second version properly the first version I know didn't have a vocal on it, but I think it was identical mm. aside from that um. Yeah, this plinky thing. What's this? Yeah, it looks like it's another sample, just like a one note. There's the original. <laughs> I've just pitched it up until it and what sounds... what was that? Was that a bell? Yeah, some kind of metal... Metal bell thing. I don't know, probably hit some big pot. I, right. I like using things around me a yeah. lot of the time. Like the most valuable tool you have is your mouth and your... You know, all that percussion, mm. you can just make pretty much any sound you want with your body if you want to. Um, but I also, you know, ventured out into the house sometimes and got a pot and I'd have a sound in my head and I'd run around hitting things until I found it.
0: Right, I see. And so you're there kind of recording it all and then you go yeah. back to the laptop and, and plug it
2: into that. And plug it in. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, i hit something like that and think like, oh, I could definitely turn, make that into the sound that I mm. need cool got it
0: run and then back. you run back
2: and then i run back I, i'm normally just like trying to get it done quickly mm. so a lot of these recordings are really bad i imagine actually this one's all right but normally pretty. you can hear me like kind of coughing or sneezing and you can hear my feet shuffling around and some distortion and sometimes the mic hits the whatever i'm trying to record yeah like they're normally awful uh, but that one turned out pretty well
0: yeah yeah that's very impressive and it could sound like a you know a great big bell I know
2: it yeah you know, it could be yeah you can use it for anything you know I can pitch it right right down and have a gong pitch it right up and you've got the plinky thing mm.
0: <laughs> fantastic so you capture that sound run back in and,
2: and add it to the track drop it in mm. put it out over the lay it out over the keyboard and um, and play the I don't know mess around till I have a riff yeah amazing and so um, what came next then I mean well, it looks like I added a bit of percussion at that point. There's a, some shakers. Mm. And the, you can hear a little riff.
1: Dun, 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 dun.
2: That didn't make it into the final version by the sounds of it. That's actually the same guitar sound used to make the drip. Right. It's from that same guitar recording. Um, Yeah. So that's demo one. Let me get up demo two here.
0: So, I mean... it. I'm getting the impression that you already know your way around this equipment that you're using. You no, know, So you already know that, oh, well, if I want the bass sound to resonate properly, I needed to do it at 40 hertz or you know, whatever yeah, you're saying. Yeah,
2: but that was stuff... I used to DJ a bit mm. when I was, um, you know, 17, 18, just to make a bit of money. Um, I used to play, open up fabric. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it was really... I mean, there's no one there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was,
2: but you got to play music was, yeah. on a big sound system. And it helped me learn about what comes out of a PA and what sounds good out of, out of a sound system. And um, some songs have stuff that's just too low mm. to come out of the sound system. And you, I started thinking about that and which drums hit the best. And um, some songs don't have space to, to let the vocal breathe. And you, yeah, you start just thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and in terms of,
0: say, you know, working out which drums hit the best, how did you know what those drums were that were h- hitting the best? You know, how did you explore that information or find that information?
2: Uh, I'd quite like sometimes you just, you know, there was no one in the room when I was playing in, in Fabric, it was empty. Um, so I'd run out into the dance floor and listen sometimes, and mm. um, some of the drums hit you, some of them didn't. And I'd put those into. In Ableton, there's a, like a frequency analyzer called Spectrum. You can put it in and see where the kick, what frequencies are coming out with the kick, and you start to learn about which frequencies, you know, hit you in the chest, which ones slap you in the face, which ones make your tummy rumble, And you can, yeah, start piecing it together how to EQ your kick so it hits just right.:
0: Yeah, so this is all stuff that you're learning yourself through trial and error. And investigation, yeah, because you're boredom. meant to be learning about it. So you you kind of abandoned a, a medical career, but at, when you went to university, were you were you already on that path? Yeah, I was. Yeah.
2: Le- I was doing all this stuff. Yeah, you come home from DJing and be buzzing on Red Bull, and <laughs> wouldn't be able to sleep, and you'd just be like, oh, "I've only got three hours till the first lecture, until I've got to be in like a dissection or something." Mm. Um, so I just stay up doing this. Yeah. It's not much else to do. in yeah. South London with yeah. a pair of headphones.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting though because um, you know many people would uh, go and do a course in this. You know to find out because there's so, so much detail in terms of what you can learn about frequencies and 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 that alone. You know that it is a, a proper you know, degree course in its in its own right. But you you kind of went on your own little journey of discovery and education through
2: yeah. This those courses are really, you know, they're good for fast tracking that and mm. telling you where to, where to, what to listen for, and you know how to how to listen to songs. That's pretty useful. It would have saved me a lot of time, but I, I don't know, maybe I listen to things slightly differently because I didn't do the. I, yeah. I don't. know. I yeah. don't know. But yeah. Um, so it uh, interested me enough to do it. Yeah, it's
0: it's it's amazing. So the second version, do uh, that? Did you manage to find that? Yeah, I did, um, and
2: like it looks like. I've added a couple of little ambient things, um, but the main thing is that ninth chord, opening ninth chord, um, which I, you know, when I was doing it, I didn't know it was a ninth chord. It was just a chord. Yeah. <laughs> I just had the piano and just hit the notes that sounded okay. The raw stem, did you hear right at the beginning of the song? So if I break that down to what it started with, Mm. it's another one shot sample of a vibraphone by the looks of it. Um, Let's see here. So I've got it going through two different delays, a triplet, eighth triplet and an eighth, Uh, just a normal eighth delay. I like doing that and panning one right and one left. Um, It makes things really wide, I do it on vocals a lot. You have two very differently timed delays. and it kind of swells around your head. So that vibraphone sound,
0: thats this a, is this an electronic keyboard that you're playing, or is this the, still a, a computer, a laptop? This but...
2: is probably a laptop keyboard. Mm. Looking at the chord, it's literally just very basic chord. It's got the ninth on it, but it's just like one blank key in between each of my mm. fingers, so I probably just sat down with the sound, and that was the first thing I hit, and I was like, ooh, that works, cool.
0: Yeah, and in terms of musical
2: education... Had you been playing piano? No, not, no, not at all. No, I like I played the guitar mainly. That was that's still right. my main. So, my so instrument. your
0: use of the laptop keyboard is you've been used, using your laptop and using your fingers to use the laptop. So it's not as if you're transposing those uh, those you no know, chord shapes that you might have learned from from playing piano a lot or anything like no, that.
2: No, I, like I do transpose like I play chords on the guitar and then sit down at the piano and get the same chords a lot of the time. Mm. I'm a lot quicker with chords on the guitar and the piano I'm slowly getting there. I can poke my way around. Yeah. Um but it's a bit tedious. So I normally work things out on guitar first. So you've been playing guitar d- d- formally or, or just mm, definitely not formally. My cousin got me a guitar when I was 15, maybe mm. 14, 15. Um he was like my hero my cousin because he had a guitar and, I was, and he was like showed me all this music he was listening to Oasis um, and yeah he just brought me a guitar once he was in the, he lived in America I was born in America yeah um, and he came over to visit me and my mum brought me a guitar
0: fantastic and so that was an electric guitar or no it was no an acoustic, acoustic
2: yeah. like pretty basic acoustic guitar which eventually got stolen which is really sad um, but now I've replaced it with a actually cost me five pounds at a market this spanish guitar that i have upstairs in my bedroom um and it had all these stickers on it animal stickers on it because i think it belonged to some kid but i write everything on that now it's my yeah it's my go-to it's my baby and then quite recently i was reading this interview with uh tom morello from rage against the machine he writes everything on on a classic spanish guitar as well (laughs) and <laughs> that I, seems incredible, doesn't it? Obviously? Yeah, I was like, oh, whoa, that's cool. And my theory was that if it, you know, if it sounds good on this, it's going to mm. sound even better when you put a real production behind it. Um, and he thought a similar thing. You know, if his riff sounds heavy on a Spanish classical guitar, it's going to sound really heavy when I put it through my Marshall stack and then through my pedals. So yeah, yeah, he's like one of my heroes. Right. That's that's really interesting. But it's interesting also to think
0: that you've got that in mind. But you're doing so much work on the laptop.
2: Yeah. I've, a lot of that definitely came from the fact that I couldn't make noise. I had housemates and it was this it was all happening at like three in the morning. And if I was sitting there playing guitar, I would have had a knock on my door in two seconds telling me to shut up. So I had headphones on and was really just working in the computer a lot of the time and using synths. Mm. That's why I started using synths because they were only came out the headphones.
0: Right yeah so a practical solution really practical yeah, yeah because otherwise you might have just been using the guitar all the time and, and working in that way if you yeah. had been able to make lots of noise and it didn't matter yeah it
2: could have been really different and i think also like there's the kind of ethereal like using all the delays and the reverbs that i got really into in that first record probably came from that as well because it was nighttime and quite eerie and it was dark everyone's asleep um so all the sounds ended up being a bit dreamlike
0: yeah yeah and and presumably also you you started listening to music that was using those things anyway and attracted you to exploring that world. people like Bengo and caribou, yeah you know, you know so that they led you down this path and you realized, hey, I can do this at three in the morning when everybody's asleep and and I can potter away and
2: we'll not piss anyone off, yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah. get some incredible results. You no, know. so, you no. Know, at what point then? You'd added this this ninth that you were talking oh, yeah. about. yeah. So,
2: so that's the original. Oh, I've put a filter on it, so it's. Oh, and that's going through a vibrato as well. So there's that's the one shot. That's how it started. And then, yeah, with processing, the magic of pedals and um and filters. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Yeah, just put cut the high end out of it. Put a, a vibrato pedal on it. Um and some delay.
0: Yeah. I'm watching you use the keyboard and and work around the keyboard. You make it seem so simple. Did it take many hours to
2: to be that fluid with it? Yeah, well, it probably took a bit of time. I find Ableton really straightforward, really really intuitive compared to a lot of the other programs, yeah, Pro Tools is pretty difficult. I use Pro Tools when I'm recording audio because I think it sounds a little bit better and uh Ableton is just amazingly good for sequencing and doing things very fast at a laptop mm.
0: so it allows you to be creative and
2: and record ideas in in a yeah great way quickly very quickly and it's loop based as well, yeah, which makes you you can build ideas super quickly, and the automation function's amazing, so you can you can really tailor things tailor sounds and you know cut attack off if you want to just a tiny bit and build things throughout a whole song yeah change filters all sorts so
0: what came next at what point did you feel this is a song and this is something that i am really pleased with the amount of work i put into it you because it sounds like it's all moving along swimmingly
2: (laughs) yeah i don't really know what i did next i think that might have been pretty much it and then what's the next process? So
0: then um, at this point in the evolution of glass animals, you're already involved with Paul Epworth. Um, how did Paul hear of your work and what attracted
2: uh, him to you? So Paul was, we, we had a lady called Amy fishing around from basically day one from when we put, put our first thing on SoundCloud. I don't know how people find music like that. Um, but she was a scout for Beggars Publishing Company. Um, she got on it, sent us an email. We had a meeting with her. She's one of the first people in the music industry we ever met, and we knew no one in the music industry. We were just kids. And all of a sudden we had her contacting us. Lawyer, We were like, why do musicians need lawyers? What's, what is all this about? So we had a meeting with her, and she she like explained the world to us. We are like, oh my God, she's amazing. <laughs> um, and... She started introducing us to managers because she wanted to sign us to the Beggars Publishing roster, who have another, like uh, they've got Samfer and Subtract and Warpaint, Cat Power, a few other amazing, amazing people, Mika, mm. Mika the Shapes. But she, yeah, started shopping us around all these managers, and we, oh, we hate all of them; they're all sharks. No offense to any managers. Um, <laughs> there are lots of very lovely managers, and she eventually just said, "Well, this isn't working." What if I'm your manager and I sign you to the publishing company? And I, we were like, yeah, cool. All right, that sounds great. We've been waiting. It was kind of like a romantic like courtship thing. Yeah. We've been waiting for her to like pop the question. <laughs> and, and had it. she
0: seen you play? She'd heard some stuff on SoundCloud. Had you yeah. done gigs at this point as a band? Were, were the four of you in place? This um, wasn't just Dave Bailey's thing.
2: The four of us were in place and we'd done maybe one really, really shit show. <laughs> I think it was in Brighton and I remember she came and she brought an agent with her who's still our agent to this day and after the show he was, <laughs> Greg was just like, guys that was that was terrible <laughs> Um, but we're going to work on it and it's going to be okay and we're like, oh damn it, okay. Wow, that's um,
0: really interesting to show such confidence in yeah. you even though you just played this terrible show. Yeah, it was. <laughs>
2: We were bad, <laughs> um, and Amy, yeah, she was still showing it to people. And one of those people was Paul. Right. Okay. So, and at this point, was Paul
0: the well-established, um, successful producer yeah. that he is today? And and he was starting this label, Wolf Tone.
2: He wanted to he? start a label. Mm. It had been in the back of his mind. He hadn't found anyone that he wanted to sign yet, and he invited us, invited me down to his studio, and I went. And <laughs> I remember speaking to him, and I was really like. I've never been in a studio before, I was a bit weirded out. And he said, I'm trying to find out if you're like, if everything you're doing is just an accident and you're a bit of an idiot, or if you're doing everything on purpose and you know what you're doing. And I was like, I, dude, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and... But he still saw something in it. I don't know. I felt like so out of my depth. I still do. I still like, yeah. wake up but, and I'm like, what But I'm I watching
0: doing? you fiddle around with your laptop there. And it seems to me you do know what you're doing. You know, and, and just the way that you've been talking about frequencies and, and you know, adding and subtracting things and yeah. trying to create. I mean, obviously, there's a trial and error approach to that. Um, but you have to have a, a, a fairly good understanding of, of what you can
2: explore. No. Well, we actually we had a very similar conversation to what we were having at the beginning. He was just asking me, you know, what I use and how I got to the sounds. Mm. Um, and I think maybe he was into the fact that he always called me very naive. Um, and I think he liked the fact that I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. I was using, like, weird little plugins that I'd found on the internet that were free and were, hor- like, terribly shit, but f- finding kind of cool sounds with them um, I didn't have any money to buy the real plugins, mm. and he—I think he was intrigued by it. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, and at this point, I mean, he'd had success with Adele, uh, and it,
0: was he in Church Studios? Had he set up? Not to, at not, this point. Yeah, yeah, he
2: was in a place called Beethoven Street, that's now owned by, I think, it's Idris Elba.
0: Oh right! Wow. Yeah, but he had—he had a studio, and it was a studio where mm-hmm. a full band could plug in and and play if they wanted to. So you could—you would have a drum room maybe and yeah. um so the 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 uh accoutrements <laughs> of a normal recording studio that we'd think of you know it wasn't just a a room you know, because I'm I, he did just have a room at one point didn't he just where he, yeah he yeah. was
2: telling me about his home studio recently which yeah. is basically like like this mm. just a room just a box
0: yeah but obviously he'd graduated to be able to afford somewhere where you could he did yeah get graduated
2: with all, like he made some records that we loved so when he when he got in touch we were like God, Paul Mm. Epworth. Like, he's that little name on the bottom of all those records. We love Block Party, The Rakes, Maximo Park. I remember he did the Future Heads stuff, and then he did Florence and Dallin.
0: Yeah, yeah. But really interesting, you know, that you had already picked out his name on the sleeves of those records, which you know are quite different to what you're doing and also quite di- different to the records that led to such great success for him, you know, via yeah. you know the Rakes or the Futureheads or Maximo Park. I mean, it's of a, a time and of a certain kind of sound that fitted in really well at that at that time, but it wasn't as if you were going for that sound yourselves
2: or, you know, anything like that. You no, know, yeah, we just we like the fact that he made really cohesive albums with people, that Block Party record was such a beautiful piece of music as a whole, mm. as much as any of those songs were beautiful pieces of music. And, um, that's the kind of record we always wanted to make. Yeah,
0: interesting. So you've got GUI, you're working on GUI. Um, I presume you've shared it with the band? Um,
2: yeah, it looks like I wrote a couple more. So I wrote like a bridge here, and I got it up to basically what you hear in the final recording, but really badly recorded. And without a few of the details. And also, this seems to be pitched up a semitone. Um, so I, I think I pitched it, we all pitched it down a semitone so I could sing it a bit more comfortably.
0: Right. And did you
2: re-record the whole thing? Or did you just take these
0: sounds that you've already got and then, and then pitch them down? Well, so?
2: I can see, it looks like I pitched everything down one in, the f- in this Ableton session and sped it up as well. I mm. think that was a poor thing. Paul was he was like in the background very much while we were doing the album and he'd kind of pop his head in and say like make that faster and then he'd leave yeah um,
0: and so obviously at this point I mean he'd met Paul you'd had the discussion you'd signed to the label and you know you're being able to go into his studio in Beethoven Street and and find things and and listen to them and play them and and record them and then walk away with them in effect in your little toolbox yeah. And then return to... And then
2: we'd return to do this tough stuff that we couldn't do at home in the bedroom. So, like, drum kits, vocals, basically. Mm. Um, and I've just been looking at the, the final stems, which um, I... The actual... There were nearly 200 tracks in the final version just because there were so many little details, like, bloop, and zzz, weird samples. Yeah. Um, and sound effects... Two hundred tracks, <laughs> a lot. Oh, that's insane. It's a lot. I, th- I reckon seventy-five of them were little sound effects. Where if you listen through, that like they're tiny little things mm. throughout that just sprinkled in. Um, that definitely came at like that's the kind of final stage, along with vocals. But I think I very, very, we very gently put a live drum kit in, just under the like you can hardly hear it really. It comes in the chorus. No, you can't, you can't really even hear it. That's the... Right, so that's Joe playing along. That's just Joe playing along in the background, mm. um, kind of following the, the electronic beat that was there. But I, I do find if you record a, a live drum kit well, it gives everything a, a big space um, that's quite hard to get yeah. in the box. Uh, it makes it sound more organic as well. And that was, I always loved trying to make things sound organic. Mm. Um, I guess that's where running around recording organic things and then changing them to something more electronic came from.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's the final version. Then we had the vocals. Yeah. I remember doing 64 vocal tracks. <laughs> layering, 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 layering. We do. There's um, a thing called the Crack Choir that you hear it on a lot of records. Actually, if you listen really carefully, you hear people making really weird voices. And I remember Paul talking about it, and then well, I was like, let's put it in this. Um, so there are lots of like strange voices, like singing the chorus in like an old man's voice.
1: And
2: then you stack up loads of different voices, all sorts. You try and do like a whole posh lady and <laughs> you make up all these characters right. and you stack them all up and it just sounds like a big choir of mm. loads of different voices yeah
1: and
2: the lead vocal sits on top
1: wow
0: Amazing! It's re- it's really interesting hearing it all broken down in this way, you know. Because I, I've been fascinated by the vocal sound of glass animals and trying to work out, you know, how you arrive at it because it's quite unique, really. You no, know, and obviously that's down to your own singing voice, but then you you widen it out using things like the crack choir.
2: Yeah, the, you know. the crack choir is a big a big th- use that a lot on the second record as well. Mm. Um. But that, those delays, very different delay on the right and left, I use a lot and I I like to widen it with a little bit of chorus sometimes, sometimes a bit of flanger, which is something I learned reading about my, one of my favourite records of all time is D'Angelo's Voodoo. Um, so well recorded um, by Russell Elevado, I think his name is, um, but he would always like do 15 vocal takes and stack them all up D'Angelo
0: right and where would the flanger come in
2: and then they put a little flanger on at the end right yeah and it just kind of makes it gives it this like slightly sweeping high end Mm. Um, makes it sound a little bit wider Um, I don't think I put the flanger on on this but it was it was something I did on a couple of other tracks for sure yeah
0: interesting so
2: um, pretty much GUI is is complete here then yeah full track it came uh, yeah it came together pretty quickly that one yeah You may have heard us talk about Tape It
0: before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Take Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape-It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise setlists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts and excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. So let's have a listen to one of the other songs. So I mean, we've got Hazy and Toes. Toes, you have explained, is a much more of a band thing in the way you recorded mm-hmm. it and Hazy was the late edition laptop creation. Um, which do you think we should listen to next?
2: Maybe we do hazy next.
0: Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Let's let's hear the completed version. Here it to is. To start,
2: I think this is it. It starts with all this ambient, ambient like field recordings that we made. We wanted all the songs to merge into one. Mm. Um. So there's all these, all these rainforest noises. Me rec- I went I remember recording owls and things. Your baby's falling. You know I'm talking
1: now. You know I'm dancing. You know I'm racing round. Oh no, you're so juiced. You said you kicked the booze. You know i get booed. You know I'm just a ball.
0: Yeah, it's interesting with all those kind of uh, jungle sounds. You could say, <laughs> I mean, because yeah. Zaba has a, a kind of Rousseau-like type sleeve. I remember we had a conversation once on the radio uh, about the sleeve because the sleeve is is great. And now in this studio, your new studio, you've got these fantastic um, palms. That, yeah, <laughs> these what, what plants are these? My babies. Yeah.
2: Yeah, some big old palm trees. This one's already outgrown. I've already had it a little while. It's, yeah, it's going to blow through the roof if I'm yeah. not careful. They grow fast.
0: Yeah, but it's clearly uh, an important thing. I think you now this this connection to nature.
2: Yeah, I don't know what it is. I've always loved palm trees. Mm. I also feel like a lot of studios are a bit clinical, um, so having a bit of life is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Into it. That makes sense. Fresh air.
0: So hazy, you said earlier on was a laptop creation, and yeah. you made it all and brought it to the band, and they all liked it, and then it just went straight on <laughs> on the album. Did yeah. That sounds so simple.
2: It was it was really simple. It just happened super, super fast. I think there might have been one or two other tracks in the record like that as well, but this one was just very last minute. Like We'd finished mixing and stuff, and, and this just popped out unexpectedly. Um, what did it start with? It started with this little drum loop. I think this weird percussion... I don't know what they are... Just, all sorts of weird sounds. Like 12 different random sounds. Probably a combination of things I'd recorded and things I'd, you know, sounds that I'd found. Um. <laughs> I don't know what that one is. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do end up making a lot with your mouth. Yeah. It's the Timberland. Timberland always did that. If you listen to what is it, Crimea River. Mm. Um all of the all of the drums are just him. All the hi hats, it's incredible. Um so I learned a lot from him. Two different triangles. I love a triangle. <laughs> <laughs> so you got the
0: rhythm track first, you put all those bits together.
2: Yeah, it looks like I did that and then I added some the kick and sub, I think, in one go here. This is the original file that I've got up, f- version
1: one.
2: Yeah. Then I added, looks like, I don't know what this is. Some hi-hats, yeah. It Kind of forms the basis of the groove. Mm. Um, and it looks like I added some ambient stuff pretty early. I was really into adding a lot of strange. that here I think this is just bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> um, I probably turned the tap on. Yeah. And I've put it through a phaser. Right. And then a, a little resonator as well. Um, yeah, that can play the raw. Oh yeah, a bit of panning, but it's just bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic um there's a lot of that kind of stuff what else is in this original ah oh, yeah it looks like at that point i did the um i did the little pads and this is slower than the final version as well i must have sped it up but actually that let's see what that original sound is It's another one that, oh, it's the same exact note used in GUI, the same sample, used for the GUI. Um, Yeah, here. But I've put some distortion on it this time, EQ'd it slightly differently. Same sound. Yeah. So, same as GUI. (laughs) i do a lot of of recycling like that, but if you treat things differently, yeah, yeah, very different. So, you it seems to me you get into
0: a zone and you start with something, you start, you know, compiling all these different things and then building and, and layering on top of that. And as you get locked into that groove that you've created, then your imagination starts going and you start exactly. thinking of melody lines but also words, or you know, the yeah. groove puts you in
2: some place. It also, if something. If I feel something is good, I get really excited, and things just start like pouring out, mm. absolutely pouring. So all of this probably would have happened in about uh, I don't know, maybe half an hour, an hour, just mm. super quick. And sometimes I end up getting bogged down in little details, and that's when it starts to happen slowly. But yeah. <laughs> I try not yeah. to let myself do that too often.
0: Would well, it be quite easy to get bogged down in details, especially when you are? There are so many options. You've got so many options in terms of how you process a sound, in what way you manipulate it. Yeah, you know, that um. You but you go on instinct and think, ah, oh, what that needs. I in my mind, I'd like it to sound softer, harder, quieter, squeakier, whatever yeah. things you've got in mind. I
2: tend to hear the sound and then chase it. Yeah. Um, and if you can get pretty good at fi- like making the sound as it's in your head, mm. I've got a later version of the demo here as well. Just gonna look at. This. Oh, this is the final version of the demo. So this is probably I don't know twelve hours in. Right. It looks like it's nearly done, aside from the vocal. I've put, what what was next? Oh, some shakers. So, this is another example of just using stuff that's nearby. It's coins that I must have had lying on the table, like these over here. Um, And I just picked them up and shook them next to the microphone, like that, next to my little Zoom recorder. Um, Did that twice, so it's in stereo, panned it left and right. Um, And that forms a lot of the... A lot of the groove as well. And I also put this little—it's uh, a very Dr. Dre thing. This shift into the kick—it's like a reverse reverse kick drum. You hear it just like pushes you in. Yeah, Dr. Dre loves doing that. <laughs>
0: but this is you know these are the results of hard study of of people's records aren't they you no know, that you know listening right, and trying yeah. to work out what they done there
2: what, how, how did they, have they do done that, that? Mm. yeah i i don't, i don't know i listen for like weird details in songs mm. um and i i do spend a bit of time i remember with this bass line, i was trying to get the sound of uh drop it like it's hot right you know that that bass yeah. sound at the beginning um I think it's close enough. Yeah, yeah, I can see the relation definitely. <laughs> uh, I spent a lot of time trying to like chase the sounds of my like production gods, yeah. being Pharrell, Timberland, Dr. Dre, and well, Paul. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> and luckily he's part of the team. No, yeah. which is nice. So, so it seems to me that you, know, you you've gathered all of this. So, twelve hours of, of fiddling around. I mean, in non-stop, or you no? Know, do, do you walk Fruity away from it? Fruity non-stop.
2: I forget mm. to eat. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally forget to eat. Just power through drinking coffee and eating sometimes a piece of chocolate. And then you're 12 hours in, you're like, why am I so tired? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Right. Um, so, oh, yeah, you haven't eaten. I don't know what else happened in this. Oh, there's like those little plucks. There's actually three different sounds. It's that albino synth again, a little gluck and what sounds like a bird? What is that? It is a recording of a bird, I think. On oh, the Jupiter 6, which is my favorite synth of all time, makes a feature in this as well. Well, have I got to this hear it a... now? And you... is that a plugin on the computer? This is not a plugin, actually. This is this guy over here. I've got it's the real deal for once. Um, but you can do this amazing thing where you take two two oscillators and pitch them very close together and then draw the pitches away and it starts to to warble i don't know if you've ever tried to like tune a guitar but as you're getting the pitches near each other it starts to i don't know i can show you an example of cross modulation if you want but it's really geeky <laughs> if, you don't, if you yeah let's do it you sure okay we so should take a picture of the of the jupiter six it's just in the corner there oh yeah it's beautiful um I always just have like a sine wave at the bottom of the session because it is incredibly useful for st- it's like the starting sound for everything. Right, a lot of the time. So here we go, sine wave. And that's two sine waves playing the same note, and then I can change the pitch of one of them. See how it starts pulsing? Mm. And then as you bring the pitches further away, it pulses faster and faster. And so now they're quarter of a note apart, and they're passing pretty quickly. So I love using that. You can like change the speed of that warble, and it really like it feels like it's like tugging on your body. Mm. Um, and that's what was happening with that Mr. Jupiter six. So a crucial thing. kind of, yeah. Bit of cross modulation. Very, very nerdy. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what else you want to know about this one.
0: Well, I, I'm interested in the vocal now. Oh, yeah. So, um, did you go to another studio to record the final vocal for the song?
2: Or? No, so I would have just done it with, um, with my. I had a little, uh, very similar to one of these, just a little USB, whatever they're called, interface. Is that what they're called? Um, and just had a. I have something called an Audio Technica forty forty mic. It's reasonably cheap. Mm. That's what I had at the time, and that's what I would have used. I actually think. Um, I don't know if I have the original stem, let me see if I can get it up, but there's definitely two... I double-tracked the vocal for this, and one of the tracks was just um, through the laptop microphone, uh, so you can hear the laptop fan. The fan of the laptop features heavily in all of our records. Right. It's always there in the background. I'm always, It sounds pretty decent, the <laughs> microphone and the laptop, um, so I'm always recording little... Uh, You know, pops and things with that. Even on the second record, there's that song Youth on the second album. That was double-tracked the vocal, and one of the tracks is on a laptop microphone. Right. I I don't know. There's something about the sound of it to me. I think it's because the fan is a constant presence in my Mm. life, as you can hear right now. I just, I like it there. All right, so this is the raw... The raw vocal.
1: No, no, you're so juiced. You say you kick the booze. You know I get boomed. You know I'm just a boy. Come on, baby. Don't
0: you cry. So, I mean, is this a combination of the laptop mic and yeah. the other mic that you'd in plugged the, in?
2: Exactly, in the chorus.
0: Recorded separately? Or at the same time? They're
2: recorded uh, two different takes. Mm. Yeah, I find I find two different... I don't know, it just makes the vocal sound a bit thicker Yeah, doing two takes.
0: And in terms of the lyrics, have you got them written down in front of you? Or
2: you, have you got
0: them in your head only?
2: I normally have them on a piece of paper and I'm holding it. Right in front of me, right like that, and sometimes you can hear the paper like wiggle in the background. (laughs) I don't know if I have an, I don't think I can find an example of it, but
0: but it it sometimes makes its way onto amazing. So, combining all those different things ended up with hazy, which you were happy enough to share with everybody, and everybody thought, Well, it it needs nothing else. No, that's fine, we'll just put it straight on the record,
2: yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. I thought it was kind of cool. It was a bit of a bop.
0: Yeah, but I think that's, it's fantastic that you have that as an option. And in contrast to that, we're going to listen to Toes, um, which yeah. is uh, another way of working for Glass Animals, which is a much more studio-bound creation. So let's hear the, uh, the final you know, thing that you created, and then we'll kind of have a look at and a listen to how you created it.
1: Put your hand down boy Welcome to my zoo Put your head inside my big black wild ride
0: So that is toes as it ended up on the album zaba and we've had two different songs um one which was completely created by yourself on your own dave and then the other um where you know it started in that way and then got completed in the studio so paul epworth is your label boss you've said that he'd kind of pop his head in and say, oh, pitch that up or speed that bit up and, and then kind of walk away and leave you to it. Um, for yeah. something like Toes, I mean, did he take on more of a, a proactive role in the production for, for this? Because this, you came into his studio and recorded as a band.
2: Well, he, he called himself an executive producer rather than a co-producer. Right. Um, he was definitely in the background he's busy he's Mm. a busy guy paul he's doing like the james bond theme tune and stuff (laughs) so he was he doing that at that time yeah yeah yeah. so he he's in and out he's not there the whole time he's he was always trying to say like i want to treat this with kid gloves was his terminology and he just let us do our thing and pop pop his head and say like a few words and then get out and leave us to it um, but he he did leave us his equipment and his engineers, which was invaluable.
0: Right. So he gave you his kingdom in a way to to run around in. Yeah, it was um, very
2: very kind. Mm. Um, as he was off at Abbey Road doing something crazy. Yeah, and so then with
0: Toes, did you just get on with it then in in that environment and and start to record it the way you wanted to record it?
2: Yeah, very much like I had I had the idea for it in my head. I knew I'd want it what i wanted and how i wanted it to sound and i'd been reading about how to get those sounds i had this idea for this beatlesy style bassline, and i started obsessing about how the beatles recorded everything reading all these books about it what amps they used what guitar strings they use instruments all of the lot so we got as close as we could in pole studios like a kid in a candy shop just saying like oh yeah this is like pretty similar let's do that yeah um Paul McCartney was always after that Motown sound. Mm. Um, so I was like looking at all these pictures of how the Beatles recorded their bass, and I tried to get something pretty similar to that Motown sound. Mm. So it's like flat wound strings on a bass guitar, put some foam under the bridge, and never change your strings. Just let them get disgusting and rusty. That's part of it. And then you have your amp and you kind of mic it up about eight, six to eight feet away. Um, and put it in the middle of the room, so you get the whole room shaking around that microphone, really adding to the, the bottom end of the sound. Um, that's that's what we did here. Right.
0: Well, um, are you able to isolate that?
2: I can isolate that. So I've got, like, the original sound was that same recording. So this is the original, like, demo, which I actually demoed out using that same recording of a guitar that we'd heard in, uh, in GUI. Amazing. The drip sound. Yeah. How how much Um, you've been able to use that? I've rinsed that one recording. It's It's in Hazy as well. We didn't show it, but it's, uh, yeah, there's a a riff in Hazy that's using that. Oh, actually, all the guitars in Hazy are all from that Uh, one. That doubled with a normal guitar. Yeah. Anyway, um, same guitar used to demo this out. And I got as far as like this line. And then added this line, which is also the same sound, just playing it all on the keyboard. And then I added another one with the same sound as well. So that's all the same sample, and then I added the drums.
0: And is that a proper kit? Played on the No, drum this, set. Is just, this is just. So the, I
2: wanted it to be a, a real kit. Mm-hmm. I was like, had this kind of vintage drum sound in my head. Um, and I got as close as I could on the computer. Yeah. Uh, and then we recorded it properly. We let yeah. Joe go for it a bit and put a couple extra fills in. Um, this is where the kind of boys' musician shit really comes into its own. Just give Ed a bass guitar, say, so play something like this, and he, he goes right. right so the they hear this,
0: um, and you then. Um, once they've got it then you ditch this
2: yeah so I think I added a couple more little layers there's that and there's a couple little synths and the vocal line is in here really really roughly
1: come and see
2: Like recorded through the laptop mic,
1: Mm.
2: Um, and it was at that point that yeah, took it took it into the studio and started building on everything. Yeah, and so
0: then did you go for um, uh, a group take, or did you do
2: everything separately? We would have done everything separately, just because I was afraid. Like this was the first music I'd ever really recorded in the studio, and had no idea what I was doing, so I felt safer. Mm. Recording like that on the on the newest album, uh, I tried to do a lot of like full takes, um, keep it really spontaneous and raw. But this would have been absolutely yeah, drums done, then yeah. bass done, then f- I think a few extra guitars and the vocals. There's not actually that much going on in this song. Yeah. And at
0: what point when when are we talking? Is this twenty thirteen that you're recording this?
2: This will be, yeah, very end of twenty thirteen.
0: Yeah. So and in terms of uh experience as a band you had played live but not that much?
2: Couple of shows. We wouldn't Yet. have played any of these songs live right. before recording them. Mm. It was very much do it in the studio, learn how to play it live, play it live. Yeah. But obviously, you know, that you have to make a lot of concessions. We never wanted to be one of those live bands that just churn- played exactly the same thing as on mm. record. That was so boring to us. I really loved like f- the way Folds played live where everything was just a kind of completely different take on the song. Mm. Um, and everything had to be live there's no backing tracks i hate backing tracks so much that's why i took that from lcd sounds another one of my favorite bands who like have this philosophy no backing tracks live it's all got to be made from the stage um so we took that philosophy which does mean you have to strip things back and choose the important parts
0: yeah yeah after putting 200 things on on (laughs) 200
2: (laughs) stems
0: (laughs) (laughs) amazing and so um you recorded those parts individually in the studio in Beethoven Street, mm-hmm. um, um, using uh, Paul's setup, um, and yep. then did he come in to have a listen to to Toes in the end? Or yeah, he definitely would have done. I think because he, he would have been surprised. No, in terms of oh, this is this is more like a like band. a real band. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I I don't remember what he would have said he usually what he had to say was like structural or it needs more here mm. um that chorus could be bigger those kind of things yeah yeah, yeah
0: ways to add to your creation yeah uh,
2: and then he'd kind of let us go work out how to do it yeah um but this you know this one didn't change that much you can you can really see how it stemmed from the demo it's pretty yeah. it's pretty similar the live yeah, drums yeah. do sound way better
0: yeah, so let's hear some of the, let's hear some of the bits that you recorded in the studio. Then, I mean, that bass sound that you were striving for, the, the, the drum sound that Joe, yeah, he's
2: the um, we go for the bass. So actually the stem seems to have been bounced out with the classic reverse kick built into it. Yeah, that's it. When you put that foam under the strings and you're using those old flat wounds, you get this sort of hollow, woody sound.
0: And would that have been played along to the drums from your demo?
2: Yeah. yeah. He would have played that along to the demo drums, which were, yeah, listening back, were really lazy. I think Joe t- made them a little bit more on, on the beat. looks like I've put some samples in on top of the snare mm. as well and a weird like a, I quite I quite like recording the mechanics of of drums when they're being played so I put mics in really weird places I put I remember putting a mic down by the kick pedal so you get the kind of creaking of it you can hear yeah. that maybe it's gone now Let's see if I can find. But there was a creek. There was a creek. You can hear it. Yeah, yeah. So that was actually the kick pedal. That was the kick pedal, and there are always kind of weird noises going on when people are playing drums, and I like finding those and cutting them out and then making them part of the the loop Mm. almost. So there's a bit you can hear some like white noise as well. Hear that white white Mm. noise on the downbeat. That was probably just some weird thing that came in another microphone while he was recording the drums, and I I probably just copied it through all the kicks. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know, I always do that. Put a little microphone under the drum seat sometimes, and <laughs> you can get the sound of their butt. I, it all so, adds to the atmosphere of it.
0: You were saying earlier on about how you had this idea of the sound of this song in your head, and... So when you hear that in your head, are you also thinking about the sound of a squeaky s- drum stool? And I mean, is it, is it all part of that? Well, whole yeah, vision? I knew
2: I wanted it to be quite intimate. The drums, and t- to get that intimacy, I think you need those little details. Mm. Um, it's quite an introspective song, um, and I wanted it to sound like those old can recordings. I don't know if you know Tega Mego, yeah. and the, those are some of my favourite recordings. But they have that; they have these kind of tiny details in. They've just left in little mistakes, yeah. That make it feel very, very intimate.
0: Yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because they might have only used a handful of mics, mm-hmm. and let Jackie hit do his thing. Yeah, and you know, if he was moving up and down on the stool and creating a squeak, then Wouldn't that have would have been, been, been it. it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I
2: guess I wanted to exaggerate that.
0: Yeah, and maybe now um, studio environments are much more clinical, and so kind of trying to erase those human elements that would yeah, come in a in lot those of older studios.
2: Conventional mic technique is mm. probably trying to get some of those sounds out and stop bleed. Yeah. But I, I embrace it all.
0: Yeah. Yeah, fascinating and yet combine it with synths and found sounds and you know a whole other sound world and sound palette that would in some people's minds represent the opposite of that organic yeah. way of recording. You no, know, it's it's a combination of the two, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, the two worlds colliding.
2: That's always what I loved in music when the organic stuff merges with the the digital stuff and sounds, yeah, sounds natural.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's fantastic and fascinating to hear it all broken down in this fashion and get that kind of detail. Uh, it, it's amazing and we actually have more questions but not from me but oh, from why? from other people from your fans people really? who have listened to oh, your wow. music um, and are as fascinated by it as us and and so I just wanted to go through a couple of these questions quickly and uh, see sure, yeah. see what you've made of it all um, Caitlin or Catelyn in Brixton wants to know when you're creating a track do you think about how you will perform it live or do you work that out later
2: uh, when we're yeah when I'm in the studio, I never think about the live situation. I think they're totally different. You can't set yourselves those limits in the studio. It's not fair.
0: Yeah. Georgia, New York. Is there a plugin you can't live without?
2: Ah, a f- few plugins I really love. I love that albino synth, not because it's good particularly, but just because I've grown up with it. And I don't even think it works on. Mo- I've got a very old operating system on this computer, just so that plugin works. I don't think it works on newer operating systems. I also love a lot of the sound toy stuff. I've been getting into that recently. There's a MicroShift plugin I think is absolutely brilliant and Decapitator is brilliant. And I use a few tape plugins This Kramer MPX plugins. Wonderful.
0: Right. Uh Jasper in Denver, what's your approach to recording guitars? Do you ever plug straight into your DAW
2: or use AMP emulators? Um I do, yeah. A lot of the UAD emulators are great. I tend to use those when recording other artists, though, and doing production for other artists, because you can try out lots of different sounds and help them find what they want really quickly. But I kind of know what I want, so I I have two amps mainly. I've got this; it's very similar to a Vox AC30. That sounds wonderful. It's actually a Laney VC30. Um, it's one of my favourite sounding amps of all time. And then I use a, a Fender Deluxe 57. Um, it's my other favourite amp, and I always mic them up just you you don't need anything more complicated than a 57. An SM57, sure, they cost, and next and you can buy used ones for like 35 quid or something. Mm. That's, that's what I use to record all the guitars and all the records. And I I do, I do take both. I take a direct line and a uh, and a mic'd SM57 track, but I almost always just use the mic. Um, Katie wants to know, Katie and Alton wants
0: to know, what's the best piece of advice you've been given as a producer and as a musician
2: whoa the best piece of advice uh, I think is probably to just trust your gut instinct that is really important the way you feel about something when you first hear it I think you have to remember how you felt because that's invaluable that's how everyone else is going to feel when they first hear it Um, don't forget that
0: yeah and I think this would be a good final question from Nat in Brighton who says at what point do you know a track is finished?
2: Uh, I, th- I think albums and songs are kind of a snapshot of who you are at a certain period of time, what you're into sonically, how good you are, at your instruments, what you can do musically um, at a, over a certain period of time. So if you let it kind of drag on too long it I think it becomes a bit garbled um, and loses its coherence a bit. so normally. I sort of set a deadline for the whole project and that make, puts the pressure on. And then I don't let myself work on it anymore after that time. So the date would go by and then it's right, the date's passed, that's it, I'll leave it now. Date's passed. And it does mean in like the two weeks up to it, you know, you're doing all-nighters and stuff. Mm. It's like being back at school and finishing that essay. I think it's important to give yourselves those deadlines. But yeah. I don't i don't ever really... The song's never finished. You could work on it forever. Yeah. I, I'm also getting this philosophy at the moment where if you overdo something, I learned this during the first record, I was overthinking things and over perfecting everything and it started to sound, I think the first record sounds a bit clinical, it was the second record I wanted it to be more spontaneous and it has a bit more energy to it and I think that that comes from giving myself a bit too much time on everything. Mm. Yeah it's great
0: it's been absolutely fascinating to be able to come here to the new home studio and and listen to how you've created that first album and brilliant to go back in time in that way um and i i look forward to hearing the results of the new recordings that are going to go on here in london fields
2: yeah fingers crossed they'll they'll be good yeah i can't wait to hear them
0: dave thanks so much
2: oh it's been a total pleasure thanks so much for having me and to play us
0: out while we close up shop here in London Fields at Dave's studio, let's hear more of Toes by Glass Animals. Thank you for listening, and in particular, thanks to all of you who have signed up to support us on Patreon. I'm just one part of the team that brings you Take Notes, and it relies on your support access to patreon includes the full-length videos of new episodes where possible ad-free episodes and detailed gear lists among many other things if you'd like to join head to the link on our socials or website for pictures highlight clips and behind the scenes content head to our instagram or youtube channel and on discord you can join the growing tape notes community once again thank you for listening until next time goodbye